to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. Go ahead, hit me. If you can't fuck me, why don't you just hit me? So sad. You know that, Alex. Lonely and very sad. Don't you ever pity me, oh, smug you. bastard. I'll pity you. pity you because you're sick. Why? Because I won't allow you to treat me like some slut you can just bang a couple of times and throw in the garbage? In this episode, we're hopping into a lift with one of the highest grossing films of 1987, Fatal Attraction. This was directed by Adrian Lyne and written by fellow Brit James Dearden, based on a short film he'd made in 1980 called Diversion. At the Academy Awards in 1988, the movie received six nominations and remains one of the most talked about Hollywood blockbusters ever made. What was it about this erotic thriller that continues to seep into the public consciousness like a slow dripping tap? We're going to try and find out. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice, and we'll owe you a tub of Hagen Dars. So, Rich, I'm so excited to cover Fatal Attraction. I feel as if our series has just been leading up to this moment. <laughs> this, um, I think we, we were talking or texting during one of us watching this, is just like, this is the perfect film for us. <laughs> this podcast, the whole... MO behind it, everything was gearing up to this film. Watching it as a man, do, does it tap into your worst fears? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that that's meant to be something about this movie, isn't it? It's meant to be one that really put the fear of God into a lot of guys everywhere. I, I guess it was probably looked at by by a lot of people as like, you know, this is the the middle-aged man's equivalent of Freddy Krueger. Um, you know, you don't, oh, you don't want to go to sleep because you'll dream of Freddy Krueger in your nightmares and he'll kill you. And you don't want to have a one-night stand with Glenn Close because... And I, I think it does play on that a lot. And I, and, I, and I mean, we talked about this briefly before we started recording about how in the 35 years or so since this came out, how, how things are portrayed now and how it would have been then where essentially a married man has had an affair and then the woman he's had the affair with displays a lot of obsessive behavior and and is expressed in a very overt violent way but then something i hadn't remembered from before is how violent they both are and how the levels of aggression on display i mean uh, let, let, let's just say from the off, Michael Douglas is not Mr. Innocent Victim here, as he may be uh, seen by some. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Sure. The opening shot really struck me this time as being a bit like Rear Window. You know, sort of pan, pans over the city and then it com- comes into the window of of Dan and his family. And um, and yeah, the the whole the whole thing has that kind of Hitchcock vibe to it, doesn't it? It's uh, very from the get go, kind of feels as if you're going into a a simmering pot, shall we say? <laughs> I mean, this is probably the most I don't know, would you say scary episode? I mean, we're 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 talking about this around the Halloween kind of time, yeah. You know, aiming this because it is. You know the the tension is such that there are jump scares that you get in a horror film. There are moments of real fear and panic um, yeah. that, that you get, and 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 while it isn't, you know, you don't have the the figure such as Freddy Krueger or, or Jason or whatever, but you still have 
that fear and this feels more grounded because you've got this kind of nice nuclear family with their beautiful golden labrador and everything's lovely and then the wife goes away for a weekend and and michael douglas does michael douglas things as the kids say (laughs) yes well it's it's very effective uh, as a film in that way i think i think it plays on a lot of people's different fears about so many things i think that you're right it's such a uh, it builds up the tension really effectively. I was so struck by it this time, actually, in terms of how well directed it is and how well put together as a movie it is. And um, in that first scene where we see the family together and, you know, his wife's just brushing her teeth, she's really not, she's not presented as being kind of a, a good little wife at home who's sort of, you know, nice, but quite frumpy. She looks very sexy, doesn't she? And um, she's obviously someone that's got a good relationship with him. They seem to get on very well. It all actually looks quite like any man's dream, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're, the, if you're a man that wants to get married and have a kid, I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't go into what she does, but she has uh healthy relationship with her parents you know the the, the scene when when she does go away she takes the daughter um yeah. up to see the uh, the daughter's grandparents and, and it all looks like a really idyllic situation yes um and there's i mean even one thing i mean without jumping ahead too much when when they move to the new house yeah uh, and it's and you can kind of guess what kind of time frame there is here but you know she looks like she's the one who's quite literally a homemaker Yes. In that she makes this new house look fantastic. Uh, really, you know, good, good bit of solid work. You give her a good rating and check a trade for that. But it's um, <laughs> from then, you know, she looks great with him when they go to the party um, yeah. for, for the book launch. And, yeah, and very everything. glamorous. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they, they look like a good pair. This isn't, you know, we, we talk about in, in other films and where, where the relationship doesn't look and we say look, but they don't give off the appearance that they're kind of, I say equal, is that the right word? But they look pretty happy together and they seem to have yeah. a good, good chemistry. Yeah, they do. And I think that that's really important uh, because, as you say, in other films where we've dealt with people uh, who are being unfaithful and so on and so forth, so often we're told that um, the relationship behind the scenes, you know, maybe has gone quite stale, that maybe there isn't any sexual chemistry there anymore, or, you know, that people are clashing, or, or this, or this, that, the other, or that, or just that maybe people are a bit bored. Whereas I think that it's a really, actually really good thing about Fatal Attraction is that it shows that sometimes people do things that don't necessarily kind of add up perfectly on paper but that you know that's that's still kind of sometimes what you know what people are like sexuality is sort of weird in that way isn't it like people can do things for mysterious reasons and they can be drawn to people for mysterious reasons as well it doesn't always have to be born out of something where you can say oh something bad's happening to me at home therefore i am going to do this you know yeah it it doesn't seek to justify his behavior or what he does you know because it's quite easy like oh god you know they're not talking or they're living separate lives or arguing all the time which which is quite common yeah um but again it's just literally while the cat's away you know she's away for a weekend and and he obviously has a, a very brief meeting with with alex at the party 
which then they, they reconvene again for a hastily sorted weekend meeting. Yeah, I mean, I think that the way uh, she's dealt with at the party is is quite vital in the sense that when his friend says something to her, she really gives him the brush off. So we see that Alex isn't somebody that is just, you know, kind of there to pick up anyone who will make a pass at her. She's obviously, you know, only wanting to hook up with a guy that she finds attractive too. And the way the way his friend kind of talks to her, I think that they kind of tap in to something there that's quite interesting about how maybe single women are treated in situations like that, that, you know, some guys might think that they're just kind of there to, to be picked up and she makes it quite clear that she's not. And so again, that's that's an interesting thing about her as well. You're you're shown that both of them do this because of a specific attraction they have to one another, rather than just because they haven't got any other options. If you see what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And and you kind of see that when you see them together, you see that you know her eyes sparkle at that first meeting at the bar. Yeah. You know, in the way that we've already seen her with with the friend, and then she's like, "Oh, hello." And then even he, the, the kind of, he orders his drink. They're like, hi, my name's Dan. <laughs> you know, um, so, so there is a little bit of that there. But, um, but even then, he, he's quite open, you know, at that point. And obviously they, they've just met that they don't, you know, they don't get together straight away. But, um, you know, he's like, oh, my wife's over there. And, you know, from... from from his point of view, and I mean, he does use this as a line later on that he's very open and honest about where his life is yes. at all the time. So like when, you know, he said like, I'm happily married. I have a daughter, you know, he, he doesn't hide anything. He doesn't tell any sort of doesn't bend the truth at all. No. So no. they both go into this with a, a, a reasonably open amount of honesty. So they yes, both kind yeah, of know yeah, where completely. they're going, which is a, a kind of refreshing to, to some extent. Yes. I mean, I think that uh, when he bumps into her again, which is at the work meeting, I think her her kind of demeanour there is so confident and collected, isn't it? And, you know, you definitely get the impression that she's successful. And I think at this point in the film, it really feels as if she holds the cards, actually. She um, seems like someone who, in comparison to him, has got... Uh, a more kind of self-confident demeanour I and mean, they have that interaction outside where he's trying to get his umbrella up and she kind of rescues him and um, and then when they go into the restaurant after that to have a drink I think he can't get the attention of the waiter so he's actually kind of quite blundery you know he's not he's not someone who's um, he's not a kind of Don Draper type to drop a reference that's one of your favourites <laughs> Uh, you know, he's at, he's actually sort of playing, and again, which I think is a real strength of the film, is that Michael Douglas does, uh, he kind of, you know, you can see why quite a lot of men watching this film might uh, relate to him, because he's not he's not playing someone that's just seamlessly suave, is he? He's sort of, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of more like an everyman than that, would you say? I think so. Um, and like you say, he, he is, he's fallible, and... And I guess that's the thing about, you know, we talk about in a slightly different regard with uh, male actors of modern times where they're often portrayed as invincible, always looking amazing and acting super cool and everything they do works. Whereas 
the leads in the 70s and, and often the 80s, they, they didn't always get everything right. They did look awful sometimes. They did do little things like, oh, I can't open the umbrella. You know, they, they are normal, you know, because most guys in real life aren't like that. Yes. Um, and to have him wait, I mean, especially at the time when this was being made at the same time as Wall Street, where Michael Douglas was the kind of alpha, yuppie, whatever word you choose after that. Um, yeah, agreed is good. Yeah, and yeah. yet here he's he's here and he's fallible and he, he does look clumsy in the way that we talked about um, Clark Kent in Superman. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. that was that was a deliberate ploy to make himself look average and, and inconspicuous. And this is exactly how it works. And it, and it but... It works. I mean, if if he was trying to attract Alex by, you know, not being able to attract a, a waiter's attention, then uh, it was a good ploy. And how can I hire you? You know too much about me. You know, I've been discreet. Once you say that, you're not discreet anymore. You know, and she says, are you discreet? And he says, I don't think having dinner with anyone's a crime. And she says, will it be a crime? And he says, I definitely think it's going to be up to you. And so... From the get-go, quite early on, he's sort of saying to her, well, obviously I want to sleep with you and it's up to you whether or not you want to sleep with me. <laughs> so she really doesn't have to do much, does she, to to win him over? Which shows you something interesting about Dan's frame of mind, considering that, as you said earlier, he seems to be in such a lovely marriage. Yeah, he's, he's kind of... I don't know, if, if he was at one of those... You remember at student unions, they used to have these traffic-like parties we'd wear red if you're unavailable and green if you're single and then you'd wear a, a yellow or amber if you're kind of like well you know, you know open to mingling <laughs> it's complicated <laughs> show me age here probably but um but yeah what just, colour did you wear Rich? I didn't go I didn't go oh. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was aware of these things they were advertised at my studio, at my union but um the but this is the thing and, and yeah, from from there, you don't see him, I mean, and it looks like you know they're they're very flirty. She's there with her cigarettes because you could obviously do that in in those days in in the in the restaurant, and then from there, the the physical interactions between them are really like intense. This isn't like a sort of gentle, you know, we, when we've talked about other podcasts that we've done about films where it's all really subtle and smooth and like the Thomas Crown affair or something like that. Yeah. You know, this, I mean, maybe, maybe that happened when the cameras went off in the Thomas Crown affair, I don't know. But, um, I mean, this was really physical and intense and probably quite realistic. For that yeah, scenario. definitely. It, completely. I mean, if this is coming out the year after Top Gun, we were talking about the Oof. sex scene in Top Gun when we did that episode. What a film. This... <laughs> This one sort of takes that sex scene and going, you call that a sex scene? This is a sex scene. And um, as you say, there's, I think it's, it's, I think it's very, very well done because they managed to somehow uh, make it, you know, quite a hot sex scene. But at the same time, you know, they, they, you have those moments with him, like with his trousers around his ankles, trying to get his trousers <laughs> off, tripping over, which is so realistic and funny. I mean, we're talking about a film directed by the man who made Nine and a Half Weeks and Indecent Proposal and... Flashdance. 
getting flashed on. Yeah, very uh, on the screen there as well. But um, yeah. th- this man has a, a niche and w- will keep to it. <laughs> yes, I, I, I noticed this stuff that um, Adrian Lyne has a real thing about people in white shirts. There's a lot of white shirts and white T-shirts without trousers. <laughs> and um, that's a real motif that goes through his films. Um, which is yeah quite quite interesting and he likes he likes water a lot so you see that in this in this uh kitchen scene and um but you've seen his recent film haven't you which was called deep water i have i have yeah yeah. which you know (laughs) again again i mean he's doing it's like i think i think adrian lyme might be nearly 80 now and um He's still making these sexy films, so good on him. Fair play. But um, <laughs> but yes, uh, this this thing about about these movies where I, I do kind of quite just as a kind of um, operatic thing about showing the intensity of people's impulses and as you say the physicality and really you know in the moment wanting to tear people's clothes off to the extent where you're finding yourself um, splashing. Uh, old Weezabix water on your tips, <laughs> um, and and yeah, and then and then kind of when the moment is past, then you kind of have to deal with what happens next, and that's something that really runs through his films. And um, yeah, they don't really make them like that anymore. And I think it is, I think it's just fascinating to the viewer, isn't it? That kind of thing. Yeah, because then you it, again, it has that realism. That yeah. Top Gun didn't have <laughs> what a film exactly, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you obviously have to judge her for le- for leaving Dirty Dishes in the Sink. Um, She's a career woman, you see. Okay, so right. yeah, okay. Subtle implication there, probably. Do you think maybe that mm-hmm. that Beth has you know a little bit more time to keep her beautiful home, whereas maybe, yeah. Alex is you know hasn't got quite enough energy to do her dishes bad alex yes how dare she <laughs> we're leaving uh i'm going to keep referring to weetabix water now <laughs> and then after after they have sex for that first time they have him saying thank god and i was going to ask you what what you think he means by that i mean again that the thing is i think he said they'd been married for nine years and yeah. and i mean maybe he just maybe everything was so vanilla because his wife is so perfect and yeah i mean she's so pure that when she runs a bath she doesn't put anything in the bath it's just water no no bottle of matey there for the bubbles um no maybe he just kind of thought that was what oh i needed that it's like a back massage or something yes yeah that's how i took it as well it seems to be some kind of bit bit of an implication there that some itch has been scratched and then after that, she makes him go clubbing, which I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to do. And, and a quite intense club. I mean, this wasn't like a, what was that? Was it Reflex, the old 80s ones, you know, all that. But uh, this was like a full on 80s nightclub. Yes. You know, where everything was like loud and intense and everyone dances. They don't just stand around drinking sort of overpriced water down lager. But, you know, they're really getting involved with this so that... You know, he hasn't gone home. They've gone, well, you assume that he's gone straight out. Yeah. Um, and, and then they've come back and um, 
yeah, got in the lift. Um, obviously, a, a nice yeah, open plan lift. This is not the sort that you get in your average tower block. <laughs> no, it's true. And she and she says to him, "Have you ever done it in an elevator?" And he says, "Not recently." Which again is like another <laughs> another thing about that, you know, where you where you really get the sense he's like, "I am having a weekend like I've never had before." Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and even that is so. Sort of, I think that scene sort of done slightly comically as well with the kind of thing of the the guard. <laughs> you know, yeah. you see his sort of feet and yeah, and all of that. So, um, so they do look like they have a really genuinely fun weekend together, don't they? Yeah, um, I mean, this is like proper forty-eight-hour kind of thing. It's it's all very condensed, and I guess you know, in his head, this ends with this weekend, this beautiful weekend, and they go off and never see each other again, and it's all you know shake hands and thank you very much um yes and it's just like when the they have dinner together um and they have the, all these conversations and and he talks about how great his life is as like, oh and you've, yes. you've come along and blown me away and uh <laughs> literally and um and you know she's sitting there kind of going through gritted teeth and you know we've we've had the the scene in the park yeah where um where they're playing with beloved Quincy and you know she she makes that kind of joke or when when he pretends to be ill um and then she takes it really badly and then comes back with an even more jokes kind of look ooh you went there you said your father died in front of you yes yeah up, up in the ante yeah that's all that's all quite unsettling isn't it yes i was um, there on the tip of her tongue well what do you think about the fact that he introduces his dog to her. Um, I mean, if if you have a dog that lovely, you want to show him off. Um, <laughs> I mean, Quincy seems like a very lovable fella. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I guess he's already, he'd already made some comment. Oh, my dog's alone, and if I don't go, you know, because again, you know, that dog had been left all alone because the family had been away. I mean, God knows what he came back to. Yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know how yeah, old the dog very, was, but yeah, not very far on the dog. Yeah, I mean, you know, Labradors need company. Well, all dogs, but you know, yeah. Labradors are, are sociable beasts. Um yes. But yeah, and um, I mean, it did kind of lead. I didn't mean to say lead in a dog context there, but um, it did kind of <laughs> go into the that kind of that quote where she said, "Was it? I love dogs. I'm a great cook." Yeah, and it is kind of like. At the time, you think, oh, okay, that's, you know, she's an animal lover. That's lovely. And then, um, yeah, we see <laughs> that comes around later on. But why is he Why is he spending that kind of time with her, though, if he is happily married? What, what's he doing? Um, I, guess, I suppose this is part of the... It's not just sex. There's a bit of, you know, new... Uh, it's new, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah. It's quite basic, I think. You know, just, she's new. She has interest in him that's that's different to what he what he what he's had. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think this is the thing about the about the movie that's so fascinating is that it's. I can see that it's like because of you know the way it goes. It's such, you know. I mean, as as people have said for years and years, it's such a deterrent from cheating if you're a married guy but bits of 
bits of it, when I revisited it this time, I did I did think, oh, actually, it's quite a deterrent from, you know, being in a situation where you get involved with a married guy as well, because there's something about the thing, you know, where she says, all the interesting guys are married, and he says, maybe that's why you find them interesting, the fact that you can't have them. <laughs> there's something about how smug Dan looks in that moment, you know. You sort of like, you have him being, looking, you know, going from being maybe quite endearing and sort of a bit klutzy to starting at this point of the movie to look a little bit kind of self-satisfied or something. Mm. And he's like, yes, I went there. He's like, <laughs> he's kind of got that swagger a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, at this point he starts to kind of, his tone is a bit condescending with her, I think. And you can kind of, you can kind of feel like, oh yeah, she had, she kind of came across as the powerful one when they first met. And now that he's had this 24 hours with her, the tone is shifting subtly and you know you can really feel it can't you that kind of he's talking to her like oh you and your life do you envy me kind of thing you know and you and you and you sort of feel at that moment even before she's done anything dark you think oh i feel like you're playing with something dangerous here because of that tone you're taking with her you, you do you know what i mean you can kind of feel it yeah, and I mean the, the the thing where they're where he's getting dressed after they've had intercourse, and they, <laughs> um, I think he says something like, "If if if I wasn't married, I'd be with you," uh, or something like that. And then she says, "Don't justify yourself. I'd respect you more if you told me to fuck off." So yeah. then he tells her, "Go, all right, fuck off." <laughs> I know, and, I know. He's seen that as a kind of, oh, good, get out, like a get out clause here. If I tell her to fuck off, I can go scot free. Look, Alex, I like you. And if I wasn't with somebody else, then maybe I'd be with you. But I am. Please don't justify yourself as pathetic. If you tell me to fuck off, I'd have more respect for you. Then fuck off. And you get out! I know, I totally know. At moments like that, with this, actually, when you watch it, you do wonder whether, you know, what's. Because I know there's a lot of discussion about what's going on with Alex, but you also slightly wonder what's going on with him as well, because he there are moments where you feel like, oh God, this person doesn't have any emotional intelligence. Like he's not, you know, he. he like you know because you think you, you're married you know you should know if the thing of like i'd have more respect if you've told me to fuck off and then to just retaliate by saying fuck off and he's just slept with her again you know and you think oh god don't do that why are you saying that you know i don't know what do you think it's definitely like i have i am finished with you now like you are of no more use to me yes i yeah, mean I, I don't know if this is like of the weekend is this now the sunday evening probably um, yeah, I guess it must be. Yeah, yeah, and it's like okay, we've um, we've had our fun, and you know, and it's kind of that. Oh, what do I say? Do I tell you I call you, or you know, and and he's presented with an opportunity that he's immediately gone. Oh, that sounds good. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, oh, I'd respect you if you told me to fuck off. Oh, fuck yeah, great. Then I'll tell you to fuck off. And I think. I mean, he's already put himself on offer there by going like, oh, well, if I wasn't here, you know, all that kind of schmaltz stuff. Yes, um, yeah, completely. But I think, yeah, he's... I'm not saying he's deserving, but he's definitely gone from a fair... You know, like you said, his character is arcing already. 
yeah. from hapless innocent to prick yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um and yeah and all in the space of about yeah 36 hours or so yeah which i think is really really well done and quite um convincing actually i mean i think that that's the thing about that's the thing about flings isn't it like you can you can really imagine people taking on different personas during the course of quite a short space of time depending on whether they you know are you at the stage where you think like am i going to be able to make this conquest and then if you have made the conquest then as you say you might then take on the energy of having that swagger and that completely can change the dynamic between two people can't it so yeah a lot of drama can play out in the space of quite a short space of time uh, when it comes to some of these things where people have got other lives outside the the bubble of what's going on yeah and and, and this is it and it, i think she kind of chases him out a little bit yeah yeah rightly so at that point <laughs> she's just been yeah. told, fuck <laughs> off and she's still <laughs> naked in bed <laughs> Yes. And it was yes. the 80s as well, so you know how how um I mean she's got she's got a great flat. That's I have to say, it? like, you know, that that's the that's the thing slightly when you're when you're watching this now, you think if she's it's a bit like the Bridget Jones thing, isn't it? It's like if she's meant to be someone that we're meant to pity, then shit, cuz look at her flat and <laughs> she's got a really cool job. <laughs> And she can afford both Oreos and Hagen Dazs at the same time. Oh, she um, knows us. She knows where. She her, knows, uh, and and she can cook you spaghetti. So, mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is all before we, before it goes, you know. Anyway, I mean, you know, on initial. But then you know, for twenty four, thirty six hours or something, you know, she was great for him. Yes. Um, and what a compliment. <laughs> that's what I mean. To, to him, she's yes, sitting there going, yeah, no, no, she cooks, she's like, oh, look at this. And then I'm just going to fuck off. And she'll, next, <laughs> ne- next weekend, she'll move on to someone else. Happy days. <laughs> no, completely. And, I mean, one of the things I, I we've talked about on before about, like, you know, people's motivations for what they're doing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did just write the horn. Like, <laughs> oh totally yeah completely mm. and yeah. um you know and again like it, it transpires afterwards that she says that she's pregnant with his child yeah. um and again you know by, by the time we get to this point you know she's been trying to get hold of him and and he's already like ignoring this weekend never happened and you know he's really and again that that we talk about his tone and the way he changes you know he's um he's really angry and and threatening to her to some degree and as soon as she says she's pregnant he's like oh great okay let's get you an abortion and you'll be fine and we'll be friends and he's like i'm not everyone it's like you bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah before she says that she's pregnant he says something really interesting that i wrote out which is that he says is this what you want to talk about our imaginary love affair hmm. and you think hmm. i had a very bad miscarriage last year i didn't think i could get pregnant how do you know it's mine? Because I don't sleep around. He says a few times that, oh, you need a shrink when, when they, they meet up and stuff. And you kind of think about, and I know this is the, not the purpose of this podcast, is to talk about 
how necessarily her character is portrayed in the way that perhaps it would be now. Yeah, sure, yeah. At no point really was her mental health an issue. And and you could say times were different. Yes. Um, but um, but the, the, the fact that she is kind of cast as the villain yes. in this film. And I think that's something that, that has changed in the, in the time since. Not a complete sea change, but... And, and like you say, the ending kind of then pushes that further. She is the villain, the Darth Vader who must be defeated at the end of the movie. Yes, completely. Um, um, why, why do you think it would be viewed differently now? There would probably be if not a need then there'd probably be some more understanding around why she's acting in the way that she is whether it's an obsessive trait that she has whether there's an element of trauma or whether it's you know she's just so because his behavior has triggered something in her that's acted like this or this is just how she is i don't know yes you know yes um and i think the motivation for her behavior change might be explained Maybe delicately is not the right word, but there might be a little bit more depth to that rather than just the kind of he's trying to get away from her and she just won't let him go. But um, I, I think, yeah, had this been done today, I think you could have done it in a very similar way, I guess. But um, but yeah, I think there might have been a little bit more nuance around her state of mind rather than just the fact that she's immediately switched because she's been rejected and thus therefore she is evil yeah and i don't want to sort of bang on about misogyny and all of all of that jazz but i think that one really bad thing about the film is it has perpetuated this i mean the term bunny boiler is such a thing that you still hear so much and um you know really feeds this thing about how you know women women are inclined to become crazy and you have to watch out for them because they might become crazy and you know when it's statistically much more likely for a woman actually to be beaten up by a man and a man to become obsessive it's strange isn't it that the most famous film about this kind of behavior is about a woman becoming psychopathic and violent I, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's Hollywood making this, and it, this is like, what's the most terrifying thing of an angry woman? <laughs> One person who I think actually does a lot of the heavy lifting for Dan in terms of getting our sympathies is uh, the child actor who plays Ellen, his daughter. I think that, you know, I think she's so good. And so, like, all the scenes with her in, I think, are really emotionally affecting. And I was thinking, actually, if if you took her out of it, I think it would be harder to kind of feel, you know, feel that you felt the stakes were very much kind of in favour of wanting to preserve Dan and his family unit. Because it's, it's really true that the scenes involving her are very touching and she's so sweet. But, yeah, he's he's not necessarily kind of emotionally so sympathetic in the same way, is he? No, and I think the fact is that, again, without excusing the behaviour of, of those involved, but you've got adults um, and the fact that when the child is being directly affected, it's like your family pet has been executed because your dad's a shagger. It's, yes, um, it's yes, you know, exactly. And then having to watch the two parents argue because of his 
actions. Yeah. And she's upset about that. And the fact that, you know, that the fact that he's left the home is put on the conversation between him and, and the daughter. Yeah. That's done in a way that's kind of like she is suffering because of this. And obviously yes. the, the, the implication to a point is that she's suffering because of Alex and what she's doing. Um, yes. Despite the fact that, you know, it's what her dad did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that, I mean, obviously people, people make mistakes and we, you know, we talk about that a lot in all of these other, in all of these other episodes. I mean, I suppose, I suppose it's, it's some, something that was striking to me was the fact that when he has that conversation with Alex about her being pregnant, it becomes clear that when they had their encounter, he was just entirely assuming that she'd, that she'd take care of all the concept and he didn't, they didn't have that conversation earlier. And I was, yeah, I mean, I think that when you're, you know, if you're if you're married and and um, you've got responsibilities at home, then probably the onus is as much on you to have that conversation as it is on Alex. What do you think? There, there is huge parts of that where I just think that, it, I mean, again, you with the caveat that it was the eighties, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, which shouldn't excuse too much of that kind of stuff. But again, there is that kind of. I'm the man, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff where there is that layer of you take care of it. The scene the scene where he tells his wife that he's uh, seen someone else, I think is really well done. I think Anna Archer is really great in that scene. Her like her her emotional devastation I, I think is really affecting. And um again, I think that she she does a lot of a lot to get your sympathy in a way that Dan isn't succeeding to, or at least he isn't, he, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't that much with me, but maybe that's, maybe I'm being hard hearted towards Dan. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> um, well, you can kind of see like as, as he's going through the different stages of his kind of sharing of what happened. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can tell it's like, Oh, 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 Oh. And it's getting worse progressively the more he talks about it, but it's only, he only does it after the, the bunny is killed. So this is yes, the trigger. Yes, he lets it escalate a lot, doesn't he? He mm. doesn't let the pregnancy be the thing. It's, no. Um, no, no. Or the fact that they've met, like that the woman's been in his house. Yeah, you're right. He lets it go really far, doesn't he, before he has that chat. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, maybe just before he'd get away with it or whatever, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, she wouldn't do that. She just kind of sees that. And, it, and I think it was at the point where she said... It was the the pregnancy that was yeah. that was the kind of real emotional flame that went up. Um, that was at that point you could see that was when you know she's gone from being upset to being angry. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, you really you really feel for her in that moment. You kind of think like, oh God, this is the moment where marrying someone as mediocre as Dan really. <laughs> really blows up in your face like Beth you could have done so much better um never mind uh <laughs> I mean it's it's quite funny like I was I was one thing because um obviously we have the scene the very disturbing scene of her of Alex uh trying to commit suicide and um actually some of it reminded me a little bit of when we did our episode on the apartment and I was thinking, oh yeah, well they have a suicide attempt in that as a result of someone having a affair with a married 
man who's behaving actually quite similarly to how Dan does in this movie. But yeah, in the apartment, it's done incredibly sympathetically uh, in terms of the woman that's involved and the fact that she... Yeah, the fact that she's become so depressed that she tries to commit suicide isn't tied together with this idea of her becoming someone that will try and steal your child or will murder your pet or will try and come and kill you. And I think that's the thing in this is that there's a sort of tricky, tricky aspect of it where you're at the end of it, you kind of think is is maybe because they have that very effective scene of her of. Alex saying to him, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be some slut that you throw in the garbage. I'm not going to be ignored. And, um, and all of that, you kind of think just in itself, I mean, is absolutely fair enough. But then the problem is, is that you're kind of tying it together with this idea that someone saying that they don't want to be just completely dismissed means that they're also going to turn into someone that's going to come and ruin your life and do really monstrous things. I mean, I suppose that's part of why this film has been such a massive talking point, isn't it? It's the fact that you don't really have any clean answers as a result of it in terms of what you think the movie's trying to tell you. Yeah, because, yeah, again, you kind of think from a very loose point of view, oh, well, you know, Dan's fine and he just slept with the wrong woman who just yeah, happen, happened, exactly. to be, happened to be crazy. <laughs> completely and oh if only he'd picked a different one yeah but i I, i'd forgotten about the the scene where she takes the daughter to the the roller coaster i'd forgotten about that and the fact that that's kind of what triggers the end game as it were um where the mum the wife goes to look for the daughter and has the car accident and then he goes to alex's flat and really geez i mean that was like a fight wasn't it yeah i mean he does actually almost almost kill her in that scene yeah because that's something that's glossed over a bit i reckon Mm. you kind of think well this guy is i mean obviously she's been doing terrible things but he looks like he's on the verge of actually murdering her himself well it's like i mean he almost did yeah you know and then it's only when you go oh he's he's a good man at heart because he let go of her throat while about to crush her windpipe. Yeah, and that's mm. and that's after he's been physical with her earlier in the film as well, hasn't he? So oh yeah, he's he slammed he's, her up against the wall. Yeah, yeah. He's like burst into her flat and chased her and thrown her about and and that. And then you know, again, when she gets the knife and comes at him, you know, this, like this isn't just a passive thing. Yes, you know, yeah. he, he's he he brought the aggression to that party. Um, and of course, then in in the alternate ending that we talked about, mm. that's then you know there's the scene where he puts the knife down on the counter and then she kills herself with that knife. Yeah. And then the whole rigmarole of the wife finding the tape that Alex sent, and that essentially becomes the main evidence that you assume exonerates him. Yes. Although. You kind of think at that point the wife just might accidentally lose the tape and drop it down a drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pressure would be intense. I, I put it in the glove compartment, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, I've just wiped over it with tonight's Coronation Street. Oh, God. <laughs> I was taping the charts off Radio 1. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> 
I ta- taped over it with Mark Goodyear's countdown. Yeah, damn. But, I, but I tried to miss the top part where he was talking. Um, but again, that, that that's just you know, and that that whole scene and 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 the way it was filmed, you know, when the cops come to nick him for the murder because his prints are all over the weapon and it's all really yeah. like that. And then you get the scene at the end where she's actually cutting her throat to the music from Madame Butterfly. Or yes, which to- echoes the whole Madame Butterfly arc mm. as, as we've touched on before. Yeah, or yeah. Um, or to the, the uncultured like myself, that video that Barney Gumble made in The Simpsons. He said, don't cry for me, I'm already dead, which could be used in Fatal Attraction. In there that, you in go. But, uh... <laughs> don't cry for me, I'm already dead. But um, yeah, they decided that, the, um, like many films, the test audience did not enjoy it. Um, much like Pretty in Pink or Superman 4, where they've gone and, uh, and recut it. I mean, the test audience... I mean, I judge them so much, I have to say. The original ending, I think, is just so much better. Well, it sounds like they had a job on their hands to get everyone back to do it. Yeah, Glenn Close really dug her heels in. You can really see why you'd find it hard to bring yourself to come and reshoot that ending, because if it's a character you've been invested in as someone that you have regarded as, you know, being a as much of a fully-fleshed human and sympathetic person as the other characters in the movie, that ending kind of does away with that, doesn't it? Yeah, because you think about the original ending, and and that kind of reminded me of Seven, um, the ending of that, where the kind of, the villain has the last laugh, although, of course, you know, it sounds like if the wife does end up giving the tape to the old Bill, then he'll probably probably get off. Yes. But then in, in the new ending where it's all very tense, you know, the the kettle boiling and the steamed mirror, you know, that that is quite kind of horror film, isn't it, in the, in the nice white bathroom? Um, yeah. That, that's probably quite a bit more generic, I think, maybe the term, but it's it does seem like that was done because we need to see our villain beaten. Yeah, that her killing herself apparently isn't good enough. We need to see... Yeah, we have to see the wife become someone that has to kill someone because her husband couldn't keep it in his pants. She she's the Sergeant Al Powell moment where she, <laughs> the smoking gun as our villain is slain. It's um yeah, and the fact that she's also that Alex is also meant to be pregnant, and then they have mm. the wife shooting her through the stuff. I don't know, like the whole Ooh. thing. Like God, test audiences as really weird what they you know what they want to see at the end of a movie like this you know but yeah in this it was very much a proper ending and then at the end where it's like oh that's all right michael douglas you just you know you've been there and watched someone be killed in your bath and it's all fine but um yeah we'll get someone in to clean those lovely tiles you've got <laughs> I mean, I hate the way the new ending is that it really, really pits the women against each other, which I think it sort of sounds like there was an appetite for because... That's what men want to see. Yeah, in the earlier scene where Anne Archer says, um, into you know, she says into the phone, if you come near my family again, I'll kill you. Apparently that used to get big cheers in the yeah. cinema. So there was something about the idea of the wife telling the person who's pregnant with her husband's 
child to you know no uncertain terms to go away and never bother them again there was something about that that audiences really really loved mm. um which is kind of disturbing in its own way you know because you think <laughs> and it's not because it's not like i think that you know dan dan did this thing and therefore you know he should be beaten up you know it's, it's, it's not that but it's kind of like it's very strange this idea that there was just such an appetite for the for the wife to to really give Alex what for isn't it yeah I wonder if this film will ever get remade or rebooted in the modern age how do you think they would yeah what what do you think the new version would be like I wonder if they gender flip it that that would yeah. be a different take on it but again you'd have to be so careful that final shot of the framed picture of the family I mean do you take that on face value or do you think that's sort of meant to be quite sort of you know darkly tongue in cheek like yeah happy family is my ass kind of thing I I suppose because you just kind of think he'll do it again do you think he will do it again well he's had a close shave here yeah um (laughs) yeah I mean you do wonder if imagine if like Oh, yeah, we had a a bit of a trial separation because he was unfaithful. Um, Oh, how did you get over it? Well, I killed the woman when she was pregnant with his child and he moved back in and everything was great. Who who needs counselling when you have have murder? There's also a subtle implication that he did this whole thing because she suggested moving to the country. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a city boy. Yeah, exactly. You think, oh God, be terrified of you know. And then that's what, and, that, and that's the yeah. reason he goes along with it. It's because like, oh, fuck, I best go along with this now because I'm. Uh... <laughs> it's like he caught me looking on right move, and now I haven't heard from him for forty eight hours. Quincy, cover me. I'm not going deep. Okay. He fires. Close. Okay. He's got it. Yes. It's back. <laughs> Over the head, he's gone. Dan? 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 Dan, can you hear me? Your face, your face. <laughs> that was a shitty thing to do. So Dan should be have a slap on the wrist for the way he treats women, but a real lecture about how he treats his dogs. Well, I mean, the dog has no comeback. You know, the dog can't... Yeah, that's true. You know. <laughs> the dog can't say, I, I will not be ignored. Now, that's <laughs> what's missing from this film. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disappoint me. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, but then it would have been one of those really awkward, awful films that have talking animals. Do you think that Moonstruck was inspired by this film in terms of, you know, the way they have La Boheme? They have another Puccini opera in that that they kind of, you know, model on. Uh, Maybe, yeah. themselves on. I wonder if the New York Opera Society decided that to improve their marketing, they needed to get into these films. Yeah. So, right, you know, well, we'll give you the rights to La Boheme and Madame Butterfly if you just give us a subtle little play of where this opera is on, where you might be able to catch tickets, how much they might cost. Have we got any special offers on? Yes, yes, that's a good point. The the scene where she comes in 
invites him to the opera is, I think, possibly the best shoulder pad scene in all of cinema. <laughs> like, the shoulder pads are so large, it's like... They do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, they do yeah. a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. And at that, he does say, you look good. As a matter of fact, you look great. Actually, at that point in the movie, I think I think that Dan would be happy to have an ongoing affair with Alex, I think. That before mm. she does anything dark, I mean, he looks like he's... No, actually, that's after she's had the first suicide yeah. attempt. So Yeah, because this is her being yeah. better. Because he asks her how she's doing. I think. Yeah. I think he looks like he'd just be happy to continue... Mm. <laughs> continue toying with her indefinitely before it before it goes he's had his fingers burnt at this point yeah but do you realize that um this was a year that glenn close lost out to share at the academy awards for being struck yes yes. so you wouldn't have thought that there could be anyone that would beat Glenn Close to the Oscar this year, would it? But the Moonstruck year, so... A big year for kind of big hair. Yes, yes, completely. So, big year, big hair, big shoulder pads. Big operas. Well, as we order some shoulder pads and try to get to that pasta sauce before the dog does, we leave you with the question, is having dinner with somebody a crime? I've been rich... I've been Kat, and this has been Don't You Want Me. Back in Nagasaki, I got married to Cho Cho San. That was a name in those days when I was her man. I've gone back and visit her. But she got a problem. She got a little Cho Cho. Cho Cho Sam was her name. And Mr. Taylor Wolf. Take it away, Jojo.